right, let's see if I can get through this. Let's just say more, Lord. More, Lord. forth a greater awareness right now of your presence. I even pray for the gift right now for those that have not experienced God's presence before. Let it fall on you right now. That today would be a marking day. I had one of those days. I, I couldn't feel God's presence. I went through all these big dogs of the faith were laying hands on me and I felt nothing. And then just one day as I was praying, I saw someone that was filled with God's joy and looked like he was just connected. <laughs> and so I connected my hand to his and I fell on the ground and rattled under the electricity and fire of God. And it, I truly believe that the, 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 the ability to feel and experience God's presence was gifted to me in that moment. And I get to just pass it to you because freely I've received, freely I give. So if you want that right now in your life, to feel his presence at a greater measure? Would you just raise your hands to heaven? We call forth the gift, God. You are a good father that longs for your kids to experience you. The invisible God loves to come with his power and his presence and his life, his peace, his joy, his manifest presence. So we ask right now for the gift of the presence of God to rest upon you, to fill you, and for anything that's been corked up to be released right now in Jesus' name in your life. Holy Spirit, flow in us. It's the new wine of the kingdom of God. Let it flow within us. We are undone. We are those intoxicated by your love. There's no going back because we've been changed and transformed by love. Oh, Jesus, wreck us every day with your love. We are hungry, God, and you satisfy. We are thirsty, but you satisfy. Hey! I can teach and preach about the theology of the Holy Spirit, but I think you'd, I think you'd agree with me, it's better to experience. If this is a little odd for you, just ask Holy Spirit what he's doing. Connect with him. He's really good and he'll show you. Oh. This is a good time to just focus in on him. You don't, don't worry about the person that's next to you. This is about you and God and all of us meeting Jesus face to face. And when the Holy Spirit shows up, he comes how he wants to, not how we think that he should come. 
If you come into church thinking you know how God's going to encounter you, you're probably going to leave disappointed. He's a person that likes to show up how he wants to show up. It's time for us to just come available. Come with our lamps already lit. This is not a consumer culture. One of the saddest things that I've observed in, in church culture is when believers once had a fire for God and somewhere along the journey it starts to dim out. That, that awe and wonder of God that they once, ha that they once had comes, comes into a place of routine somehow. Rather than living with this active love for Jesus. And they've lost their first love flame. And I wanna just say like, your love and your passion can look a lot of different ways. It can look very expressive or it can look like you're just sitting in silence, but you're encountering him. It's the living flame of God's love that wants to return you to your first love. And I believe perhaps the greatest reason that people lose this love and this fire is because somewhere along the journey, they've lost their recognition of the presence of God. It's the root cause of any numbing that's taken place. You lose your awareness of the reality that God is Emmanuel, God with us. In some place, we've created a distance on our end. And no matter what Christian activities that we engage in, no matter how excellent the worship is, no matter how beautiful the laser show is. I actually love a good worship. Let's get some lasers in here. I put it on the budget. No matter how good of a sermon is preached, and I know we have really high, high standards in the house here. No matter how good of a, a sermon is preached, that's a joke. No matter how fun our community is, and we got a pretty rowdy community, nothing is going to satisfy your true heart cry. Because it's a heart cry for him, his presence. Isn't it one of the, the most glorious things when we gather as a house and we have a plan, we have on Planning Center, all the different activities for the day, what's gonna happen, but we take time to listen in, and it goes past our 45 minutes of worship and our five minute offering and announcements because Holy Spirit wants to do something and we've actually tuned into it. Yeah. It's God's presence shifting the room it's us becoming so aware that God is here. 
and we're absolutely overwhelmed by his glory and his presence. You know those times in worship where we just play the first chord? And for whatever reason that day, the presence just moves in the room. Let's make that every Sunday. That would be really easy for the worship team. We wouldn't have to be like, okay, all of you throughout the week that are tired and weary, we'll get you to, you know, maybe by song two, verse three, you're ready to really worship. But what if we just came with our lamps lit and it said, let's make a bonfire of glory in the presence. What do you think can happen in the room? It's in those moments that we stop caring about time. We stop caring about what people think about us or around us. It's the all-consuming fire of his presence that has our full attention and draws us deeper and closer to the living God. That deep longing within us, it's our heart cry for him. You might think that you have an unfulfilled heart cry within you and you're trying to find a place to plug that in. You might be doing it through your relationships, through your job, what you feel like maybe even God has called you to do. But nothing is going to satisfy that heart cry except for him and him alone in his presence. The other interesting thing to think about is this, that just because many of us or most of us are encountering his presence richly, that doesn't mean that everyone is. Just because it feels like it's this undeniable, weighty, powerful move of God, not everyone is going to recognize it. Those who have built some forms of hardness in their hearts may have a very difficult time discerning what's happening. In Genesis 28, we read about the life of Jacob. He's one of the founding fathers of the nation of Israel. And at one point, he falls asleep and puts his head on a rock, a very soft pillow. <laughs> but when he, when he lays his head on this rock, the Holy Spirit comes in sovereignly and gives him a dream. And this dream is of a ladder, a ladder that goes to heaven full of angels ascending and descending. And when he woke up from this dream, what was his response? He said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. Let's go ahead and put up Genesis 28 on the screen here. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord's in this place and I, I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? Have you ever been in an encounter with the Lord where the fear of the Lord is so thick. We're not talking about the same fear like fear of darkness that comes. This is the fear of the Lord. Where you know in that moment a measure of his holiness that you may not have encountered before. And sometimes all you can do is fall flat on your face. Sometimes all you can do is freeze in place. Because you know, I might die right now. God is all powerful. There is a fear and awe and reverence of the Lord that I long for us to encounter. 
Well, Jacob encountered it. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. It's, uh, the, the, the name Bethel means house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone that was under his head, his nice comfy pillow, and he set it up as a pillar and he poured oil upon it. He called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. So in the place where he had an encounter with God, he chose to not forget it. How many times do we have an encounter and we move on with our lives? How many times did the nation of Israel have a miraculous encounter with God, but two seconds later, they're doubting, they're grumbling, they're complaining, they'd forgotten the power and the awe and the wonder of God. But here Jacob chose to sit the rock, up, the rock upright and pour oil upon it. Oil is a, a symbol of the anointing presence of the Holy Spirit that he poured upon this oil, on this rock. The house of God. What's the point? Each of us need the help of the Holy Spirit to recognize the very working of God in each moment. That's, that's the, the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon this memory. Holy Spirit, let me not forget this. Would you seal it? I commit this to you. The kingdom of God is at hand. God's power and grace and all that we need is literally just right here. It's another realm called the kingdom that we can pull on at any moment. I say this over and over again. When we go to heaven, that's not a far off planet. It's not galaxies away. Heaven is a realm. Did you know that? It's, it's a realm. The kingdom of God is a realm that we can reach out and grasp. Our beliefs, the issues we're going through, our struggles can make us blind to the reality of God's ways in a moment, keeping us from being able to reach out and grasp what is right here available to us. Have you guys been in times where God's presence was undeniably powerful and drenching the atmosphere, but some of those people around you couldn't recognize it? One person has an encounter with God that shifts his or her heart, his life or her life is completely changed but the person next to them is completely tuned out and disengaged, wishing the service would end a little bit sooner because he's got some queso at home ready for the big game. It can be hard to watch sometimes because we desire that all men and women encounter God more and more in his presence and his power. But this very thing happened in the Gospels and it happened to Jesus. Let's turn to John 12. Just a little setting for you of what's happening. Jesus had raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. As you can imagine, this caused quite a stir in the region. And so people were starting to gather, not just to see Jesus, but Lazarus, who had been dead, now is living. So Jesus, this is the time where he's entering Jerusalem. His death is coming near. But he's greeted by the Jewish people with palm branches. And they would yell out, Hosanna, which means save us. They had signs that he was the saving king, but in their minds, they thought he was going to be a mighty warrior carrying a sword on some sort of magnificent 
horse riding into the city, but Jesus came with an upside down kingdom and came as a humble servant, willingly laying down his life, riding in on a donkey. Still, they were singing out and shouting, Hosanna, save us. And here he comes humbly into the city of Jerusalem. So as these crowds are gathering, they're wanting to listen to him, listen to what he has to say, what, the things that have been going through the nation. Who is this man? Is he the Messiah? And who is this man that's been raised from the dead? Lazarus. And so here we have, um, as the crowds are gathered around, he begins to challenge them of what it means to be a follower of God. And what he says is, to be a disciple or a follower of God, you have to give up your worldly life in order to follow him. And that's the place when you give that up, when you lose that, is where you will truly find life. And you're going to enjoy it forever. And so here we have in verse 26, he says, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Verse 27, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. He is saying, this life I freely lay down as an act of the greatest form of love. He's saying, should I say, Father, save me from this? Should I have angels rescue me from this moment? No. This is the reason that I came. Father, glorify your name. This is my purpose, to lay down my life for God's name to be exalted. And look what happens next. Then a voice, a literal audible voice came from heaven and said, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Watch what happens. The crowd that was there and heard it, some said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus, who was discerning their thoughts, said, the voice, the voice that you heard was for your benefit, not for mine. Jesus didn't need this voice to be heard audibly. The people needed it to be heard audibly. Verse 31, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world, that's Satan, will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Now some of you are like, what? Jesus is judging the world. We just talked about judgment last week. <laughs> judgment? Jesus. This is a judging of the world system, the kingdom of darkness. By the cross, the cross is acting like a hinge in history, shifting a complete change. The judging of the world is the overthrow of the kingdom of darkness. So Jesus had prayed a, a prayer about laying his life down to glorify the Father. And out loud, the Father speaks, I have both glorified it, and I will glorify it again. But isn't it fascinating, the response 
from the people attending. It was divided. They had different experiences of the manifestation of God in that moment. Some people saying, it thundered. Others saying, I'm sure the very spiritual ones, I think I heard the voices of angels. <laughs> Sounds more like Venice. No. Isn't it funny how some people thought that there was a natural explanation for what was going on in the moment? Oh yeah, I know it's strange. There was, there was no clouds in the sky that I could see, but it, it, it thundered. It thundered. Let me give you a, a scientific response of what was happening in the moment. Others were having some sort of spiritual experience. The voice of angels speaking among us. But Jesus, discerning their thoughts, that's why he said, that voice was for your benefit, not mine. It was for their sake. It was for their belief. So why could they not discern what was happening in that moment? That the voice of the Father was audibly speaking and they could not discern it. Verse 37, a little further down, tells us why they could not hear it. It was because of their unbelief. Let's read this together. Even with the overwhelming evidence of all the many signs and wonders that Jesus had performed in front of them, his critics still refused to believe. Now, this was a fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah, who prophesied that people would have blinded eyes and hardened hearts to the Messiah. And John tells us there were those that had a measure of belief among the crowd. There were some that had some sort of belief that was going on, but watch what happened to them. They refused to speak up and they were silent because their fear of men was greater than their fear of God. There's a lot going on here in this passage, but one thing I want to point out is that the unbelief of the people became the filter that clouded their experience with the manifestation of God himself. And they couldn't hear what was being spoken to them. Switching gears a moment to something a touch more lighthearted. Let's put up the next photo. That's right, LA, you love dogs. Here's one for you on the screen. This is a German short-haired pointer. There's a, a man that I have listened to for years, Pastor Bill Johnson up in Reading, and he gives this illustration. He owned a German short-haired pointer, and he speaks about this, so I'm gonna unpack it for us because it's a, a powerful metaphor of what God does in our spaces. Uh, with a German short-haired pointer, the way this operates is that you release one dog out and as it's sniffing around and bending its nose everywhere, trying to find the bird, the, the prey in the field, it, it searches all around. It's hyper, it's active, it's bending its, its neck, trying to get a scent. But the moment that it smells the prey, it freezes in this posture and points its nose and its tail in the direction of the prey. Immediately, freezing in place. It says, that's where it is. Now, when you have two of them, they're actually meant to be hunting together. When you have two of them, it's called a brace. And what happens when there is a brace? There's two of them running around, and immediately one tracks the scent, freezes in posture, points its nose and its tail in the direction of the prey, and the other one is observing its pal that it's hunting with, and no matter if it, it scents something or not, 
it will immediately freeze in the same posture as the first dog. Even before it smells the scent of prey. And the reason being is because it knows that the wind will carry it from that point. Isn't that fascinating? This is called honoring the point. It's a hunting term. The second dog honors the point of the first dog. And I love that it comes with the direction of the wind. This is a metaphor for our times with the Lord. When we honor what God is doing with those around us in worship or moments with the Holy Spirit, we honor and value what he is doing. And often it stirs us up for our own powerful personal encounter with him. For example, I've had Sundays where I come into worship. You know, as, as pastor of the church, there are many things to do. I like lighting. I'm a little bit of a snob with it, so I'm moving the lights around. Sometimes the toilets are clogged. Sometimes there's issues with technology. Sometimes I might have had a very tiring week. And so you, I come into worship, and I'm like, okay, this, is, this today is, is an act of laying down my feelings for the sake of a God who's worthy. You know? Some days it's like that, and that's okay. Other days, you've had a week where God's showing up. He came in miraculously. He connected you divinely with someone. You, you have a clear sense of your vision and purpose in life. You're like, it's time to worship. Let's go. Turn up the beats, you know? <laughs> that's what I say, turn up the beats. That's, every week I say, turn up the beats. Isn't that right, Shonda? Yeah. Turn up the beats. So some days you're ready to go. Other days you're, you're not feeling it. Okay, but in those times, well, first of all, can anyone relate to this? Encourage me a moment. Can anyone relate to this? Yes. But then as we begin engaging with the Lord in worship, even when you have a lot on your mind, you turn and you catch the face of someone that is completely connected to God. And they are experiencing his love you're experiencing adoration and a little bit of conviction starts hitting your heart and you're like oh yeah let's 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 get in that posture let's make those changes to be able to to find that form of love and presence that I know that God wants to engage with us that is called honoring the point honoring the point of another believer or believers in the room and soon, the, the encounter that one individual is having near you, it's actually an invitation for your own encounter and a corporate encounter with Jesus. That's one reason I was so pumped to talk about this today because I love fostering personal encounters with the Lord. I love fostering our relationship individually with the Lord, but I'm also very passionate about a corporate move and encounter with the Lord. What does it look like as his people gather together and we can flow and operate as the body in his presence? We've been preaching on the Holy Spirit. Week one, I gave some nice theology. Week two, I talked about the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And this week, I wanna move us onward to a place where we're discovering together the ways and workings of the Holy Spirit. That's what this is all about, preparing us for a greater move preparing us for a greater move of God. 
as we're honoring the point, think about it this way. A lot of you guys, in fact, I think we passed 200 people that are in home groups right now. That's incredible. Give yourselves a round of applause for that because I was told when we moved to the west side, small groups don't work. 7% or less of people in your church will go to small groups. And I was like, I feel the Lord on, on this. Let's see what God does. I'm not trying to prove anyone wrong. It's just, we gotta have small groups in order to grow as believers. These are, these are places of family and discipleship. It's, it's uh, integral to life in, in, the, in the body. Side note, okay. So at, picture yourself in home group. And you know those times where you're praying together, maybe there's some nice music playing and you're like really seeking the Lord together. And there, it feels like there's a good direction of where something's going. But all of a sudden the home group leader grabs the wheel and turns it and they're like, I really feel like we're supposed to pray for the saints in Iran right now. And you're like, wait, what? Is this, is this where we're going right now in this time? Also, there's like five minutes left and then we need to go. You know, but when you are checking in with the Lord, you can actually honor both the leader in the moment, but you can also honor the point and say, okay, this person seems to be attaching to God in this moment. I could, I could create in myself a bit of an attitude right now. No, God's, God's not on this. This is so distracting. Or I could choose to partner myself to what God's doing uniquely in a moment, take a moment of risk and say, let's do it. Let's pray for Iran right now. And all of a sudden there was a unity shift in the room. Rather than feeling combative, like giving someone an eye roll, like there's no way that God's talking about this right now. And you're saying, let's do this. Let's go, let's go there. This is called honoring the point. It doesn't mean that every person in a small group is just popcorn, random things all the day long. There is a flow. But there is also a moment in maturity where we know how we can also honor the point of what God's doing in a moment. Another key of honoring the point is that if you wanna be set fire in your life, if you wanna be set on fire in your life, get around those who are burning for Jesus. We can live like Lone Ranger believers, but we were not created to. It can be really tempting, like every time I get in Christian environments, it's very messy, people are, are still a lot of work. Shock of all shocks, I joined a home group and people are ruffling my feathers. Also, that's really good for you. A little feather ruffle is a, a maturing within your life. You know, it feels really good to hear that. A little ruffle ruffle in your life. A little maturing to look like Jesus. Also, did you know that we are Christians? So how come when we squeeze Christians with hardship and relationships, that sometimes it feels like everything but Christ comes out. It's time for us to really believe that we are full of Jesus. I'm feeling a little squeeze. Am I really letting Christ come out in this moment? Or am I really trying to be self-protective and defensive and I need things to be a certain way? That's also not in my sermon, free for you today. Okay. If you wanna be set on fire, get around those who are burning for Jesus. A few quick examples in my own life. Um, I had finished uh, school in Chicago and 
I, I actually loved my Bible school, but it was a, a little dry, a little heady. So I wanted to be around people who were, who were drinking the Holy Spirit, you know? And um, I have a few friends. Actually, I got to give you a shout out. Mel and Brittany, raise your hands back here. These are my dear friends from Chicago. We have stories for you. We have stories for you because we were, we were like crazy in love with Jesus, still am, but we would like watch these, you know, 720 pixel YouTube videos back in the day of like people talking about the Holy Spirit and then we'd like dim the lights and put on soaking music and we'd like, let's see where we can go with the Lord in our times with him and like talk about God moving powerfully. What it does is it sparks a hunger in your life and soon enough, your day-to-day -day does not look like your normal day-to-day -day because you've actually set yourself up for living in greater encounter with the Lord. You're preparing yourself for a greater move of God in your life. I would do that with my friends, with my family. Sometimes I was just learning guitar back then. I'm sure that the chords were a little rough, but we just got together to seek the Lord in such a pure place. And it was one of my favorite seasons of life. Get around those who are burning for Jesus and you will together be burning that, that much greater. Okay, wrapping it up here. When you think that you know how God shows up in a, in a service, I talked about this briefly. We come into church and we're like, you know what I really need from the Lord today? I need him to show up with a, a nice song that speaks directly to my situation. You know, you come to church hoping that it's something that, I hope this really feeds me today. I, I need this in my life. I'm gonna tell you, you're probably gonna be disappointed because when you come in, in that consumer mentality, Holy Spirit wants to show up in relationship. He wants to show up as a person and he wants to show up how he longs to show up that day. And so there's something to be learned as a body where we are, we are learning and making space for him to move as he is longing to move in this space. What is our job as believers? You know, we're talking about preparing ourselves for more of God, preparing ourselves for a greater move. What is our job? I believe our job is to hunger. When we hunger for him, we, down, we lay down our own agendas, our desires, and we are much, much more longing for that encounter with him, an encounter in his timing and with his ways but it's our job to hunger. The rest is up to him as we make space in our hearts and with our time. In Luke 11, let's put that up on the screen. Let's read this together. Luke 11, Jesus says, now suppose one of you, suppose one of you fathers is asked, let me, I can actually read English. Hold on one second. <laughs> now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. Okay, the fish is at, wow. Okay, let's reset. I can actually talk, I promise that too. I can read, I can talk. All right, suppose a son is asking for a fish from his father. The father's not going to give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more is he willing to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We have a good father who isn't going to rob you of good things. As we ask for his presence, he will show up in glorious ways as a gift 
for his sons and his daughters. In his infinite wisdom, he knows just what we need. When you posture your life as one that seeks God's presence, there are two questions that we should be asking ourselves when we're engaging with him. And I think this applies to me as a pastor, it applies to us as a church, it applies to you individually in your small groups, it applies to you when you're meeting with your friends, when you're out in Los Angeles working your jobs, interacting with other people. These are the two questions that we should be asking ourselves as we hunger for him. Number one, did God show up? And number two, did I do what he said? Did God show up and did I do what he said? That's our posture of hunger. If I ask these questions and respond with a yes, then we have faithfully done our part. And we know that God has and is doing his. Regardless of what the circumstances look like around you, did I do all I could to listen and obey? Did I do all I could to follow his leading and to take risk? And did I have eyes to see what God was doing? We're not gonna perfectly follow him. We can be very clunky, awkward people as we're trying to attempt to follow the good shepherd. But God loves to work through a surrendered, willing, and imperfect people. God is waiting to see if you will steward well what he has placed before you in your hands. When we partner with faith, we will see the acorn in our hands, not as what it is, but what it will be, an oak tree. There is an oak tree in your hands. And when we are crying out for a great move of God in our lives and in our communities, it's often placed before us as a seed. In God's wisdom, he knows that if, if he's given us more than we can handle in a moment, it's going to break us. But if we're developing the character that we need and we steward it well, that's the very place that he will establish you. When we are following Jesus, we are his sheep. Are we putting more faith that we will misstep and that we will get off the path and the plan? Are we putting more faith that we're going to miss the calling and the purpose than in faith that we're with the good shepherd? And our job is to look up, and his job is to get us back on the path. That's the promise. That's the lifestyle of following Jesus. So I, I wanted to speak this word today because I know that God is massaging into our culture what it looks like not just to individually follow him, not, indiv not just individually to hear his voice and to obey, but what that looks like as a whole company of people start to do so in a place of unity. If the early church had a couple hundred people that changed the world, what can God do in this house as we hunger and we thirst for him and we're expectant for the greater things? Let's go ahead and stand up. Let's just get in a place of a receiving posture.
much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? I want to thank you, God, for what you were doing in the house this morning through our worship, through our ministry time. I'm so humbled that you chose to, to show up in that way and to move among us. I know that these moments can mark us. And just like Jacob, would we actually set up a stone pile as an altar and let the Holy Spirit be poured out over that moment so that we do not forget, but we steward it well in our lives. We're not a people that are just moving on from encounter to encounter to encounter, waiting for the next goosebump, waiting for the next hyped up feeling. We know that you've chosen to move among your people with the miraculous, with the divine, with moments, moments that shift us. moments in your kingdom that transform us into being kingdom people. Moments like with your disciples where they would see you do great things and then a few days later you're asking them to have the faith to step into the same. And we ask in this house for that greater measure of your presence. A greater measure of of faith, that we would be a people that are, are looking like those, looking like those hunting dogs for where you're at. Where's God? Where is he moving? And then we will focus our attention on what you're about. So I thank you that even today, you're teaching us, you're showing us, you're guiding us into how to do this to be a house established as a house of glory. Continue to work that in our lives, God, as we live yielded and humble at your feet. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.